All right, okay. This is Lenny D'Angelo uh, yeah, with an art sound off. Art sound off uh, challenge from Lean Into Art podcast. Uh, Artsoundoff.com. Uh, art sound off on the Twitter sphere. All right. A handful of topics today. I wanted to cover maybe it's in the, in the, in the, in the, the, the miniature. Uh, a, a, a grab bag, a, a appetizers, if you will, of topics. A t- tapas. Tapas. T-O-P-I-S. Tapas. Is that a good pun? All right. Uh, anyway, I uh, wrote these, wrote some notes about this. <clears throat> Ritual and skill building. Uh, weakness prompts. Invisible products. Imposter syndrome. Uh, fourth chair, but in the band. And uh, greatness required. These awesome things uh, I thought would make a that have come up. Okay, so the uh, the ritual and and uh, uh, skill building thing that comes up because uh, <clears throat> Owen Jollins also participating in the Art Sound Off <clears throat> Challenge comic colorist on the Twitter sphere. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh... Owen did a post, a long post, and then and then uh, asked at the end, uh, is anybody participating in any kind of ritual practice that uh, is for skill building or uh, breaking through? That's how I interpreted what he said, anyway. And I I did address this in a, in a past art sound off, but I didn't I didn't go into detail, and I think it's actually a pretty useful exercise. Something that I've been doing as a ritual is uh, to get up every morning. And to uh, put some time in sketching, with the uh, the caveat, not the caveat, the, the requirement that that particular period of time and that particular work that I'm putting in is only for the purpose of of uh, of sort of a loose meditative uh, skill exercise. It should have. Nothing, either nothing to do with a with a current project I'm working on, or it should be just uh, some sort of practice that may benefit a project I'm working on. So I will use sometimes a project I'm working on. Uh, maybe there's uh, uh, something I'm having trouble drawing, or uh, maybe there's some ideas that ain't quite flushed out. Uh, and I may end up drawing along those lines, but usually I'm not, I'm making it, a, a, in, there's an intentional, uh, avoidance of those things, at least starting out. And I often, so it's more like, I don't know, uh, uh, uh the automatic writing that Owen also addressed this, this sort of a journaling exercise where you just sort of sit down and go. And I consider this, that kind of exercise. And I consider it a ritual because... Uh, as I said before, it doesn't have a whole lot of, uh, uh, there's no, there's no uh, immediate application for that practice. It's just something I'm doing. Uh, and I found that in that space, uh, ideas come and, uh, breakthroughs happen and sometimes not. And the problem is if you set out to try to have an idea or breakthrough, you don't have one. That's the wonderful thing about the human mind. It doesn't work that way. As soon as you need something, it ain't there. So, uh, you want, I, I've found that it's very important to treat it as a ritual because you put yourself in a state that is open uh, to receiving. Uh, and many, many, many pieces of literature have addressed this particular issue. Uh, 
And it's, it, is, it is what automatic writing and journaling and all of that is for. It's to clear your, uh, to put you in a, in a different state of mind. And in that state of mind, and only that state of mind sometimes, is where you can be open and receptive to new ideas to, and to discovery. It's almost like they say when you're uh, working on something and you can solve it in your dream. But it, only in your dream did it come to you. Or only in the shower, as some people would say. I don't think you should take long, hot showers. Uh, but that's beside the point. Be a little bit more responsible and just try this. Sit down with a pad and a piece of, and a pen and, and make sure that your tools are not uh, precious. Don't have any kind of built-in preciousness to them. Uh, I find that it's important to have a crap sketchbook or notebook. I find that it's important to have a, a clumsy tool. And in that place, my expectations for, for beauty and perfection are removed. It's not, it's not even a possibility. And this is advice from my, that I got uh, from asking a question at a convention from an amazing artist called Pascal Campione. You can look him up. He does, a daily, uh, he does daily paintings. If you subscribe to his newsletter, follow him on Instagram or whatever. And man, his paintings. He's doing these every day. And he is really doing the same thing. He says he starts with big, big shapes and lets the thing happen. And I found that as a painter of abstractions, which I was at a point, uh, it's really important to be at, at in touch with that place. doesn't mean you have to make abstract work. It just means that in the abstract space, uh, interesting things can happen that are often out of your control and maybe beyond your perception. And they come into view. Because you allowed yourself to uh, meander in, the, in the, the mist, as it were. Wander in the fog. Is that anything? Anyway, that's a ritual that I believe is building a skill. Not only a physical skill like drawing, but a mental skill, an emotional skill. Because putting myself in that state is, is it's challenging. Uh, that's why I'm doing it first thing in the morning before I'm clear. As soon as I'm clear and weighed down with the, the responsibilities of the day, forget about it. That's not happening. So uh, maybe early morning or if you're a late night person, late at night. I don't know. Late at night, I got a lot of baggage that I'm carrying around. And I got to unload that shit before I start doing anything else. But that's just me. Do it your way. I Anyway, if that's helpful to anybody, I think that's uh, worth trying. Listen to Owen Owen Jolin's podcast or uh, or art sound off about journaling and apply that to your sketchbook and it's it's really the same place to be in. I, I I really think it's healing. I think it's creative. I think it's it's a lot of discovery. Not only in terms of what you make on the page, but in terms of the way your mind works and how you can shift your focus around. That is a skill too, and it's not easy to build that skill. Uh, Ask anyone who's tried meditation or uh, or working out or whatever. You, it really is the mental uh, thing to overcome is way bigger than the physical thing, uh, and it requires a practice, ritual, and, and work. Uh, there's a wonderful lecture by John John Cleese. I don't know if the research is John's. I think the research came from someone else. But John Cleese from the from the Pythons, uh, who is very smart and very entertaining. 
I've never heard this topic presented in such an entertaining way, but there's a wonderful lecture. Uh, just maybe search John Cleese on creativity that he did to a group of people, and it's about... One of the main points of this is that research shows, and if you're a person who requires everything put in scientific terms in order to accept and process, uh, here you go. Here's the information for you. Yeah, for the for the rest of you, you can just you know try it out. But if you need it in scientific terms, John Cleese presents it very well. Um, and then, by the way, if Monty Python had been responsible for my education, I think I might have uh, learned quite a bit. These guys are very entertaining. Have you ever heard John Cleese do a lecture or uh, or Eric Idle do a lecture? They're very smart. Or heard the panel discussions with those guys. They're all very intelligent. And, and, and well-spoken and, and brilliant writers and all of that. So if the Pythons had been responsible for my education, I might have learned a lot. Because uh, I probably wouldn't have sat through this lecture otherwise if it weren't for John. Uh, well, not everything they did was great, but it was always educational. Like, uh, as an American kid, I learned a lot. <laughs> a lot of distorted facts about the UK from the Pythons. For example... One of the worst sketches, by the way, they, they're brilliant, but they, they don't do gold every time, much like all of us. Uh, the, one of the worst sketches I've ever seen from the Pythons was, it was about blamages, giant blamages. If you don't know what a blamage is, well, join the club. Uh, it's, it's a cookie, a meringue cookie. Have you ever had one of these at your grandma's house or somebody brings them to a potluck and you're like, who the fuck brought this? <laughs> That's, I think, what a blamage is. It's a nasty, flavorless, uh, puffed-up cookie. Look, say a lot of things that are great about the UK, but food is not one of them. It's not a skill. I Actually, that's not fair. It's probably French. Uh, anyway, blamages are, a, I think it's a cookie, right? A puffy cookie, and they're gross. And uh, the Pythons did a sketch about giant blamages. What's the point? I don't know thing one about blamages, <clears throat> but I did learn how to pronounce the word blamage from this awful sketch that the Pythons did. That's all I learned from that sketch. I didn't learn anything about comedy, except maybe what doesn't work. But the giant blamage sketch taught me how to say blamage. I would have never known that. And that the, why that's important is because there's a band from the 80s called Blamage. And I was a fan of their songs. Only I was calling it Blanc Mange. Blanc Mange, probably. So, if I hadn't seen the awful sketch by the Pythons, I may have never known. I might have gone to a DJ at a, at a I don't know, 80s night at the, at the goth club I used to go to. Dark Wave Night. And I might have said to the DJ, can you play some Blanc Mange? And he would have said to me, that's not Dark Wave. We don't play that. And I would have said to him, you just played something shitty like Ultravox. And you're calling that Dark Wave? Play Blamage. Pl Blanc Mange. And you know how people in the know are. They love to make you feel bad when you don't know something. He would have given me no every, every, all kinds of rations and shit for that. Blanc mange, what are you even talking about? Get out of here. And your, your eyeliner is smudged. Get out. Okay, what am I saying? I got real off topic. Uh, 
Oh, oh, the John Cleese lecture. Okay, about about creativity. Here's what you can learn from that. The the takeaway from that is that the brain, for for all you scientific term people, you need it. You need it in these terms. Here you go. The brain has two creative states. One of them is open and one of them is closed. And in the open mode of your brain, your creative mode, you can come up with all kinds of things. Uh, it's really, I mean, the words say it all. Oh, it's open. Open to ideas, open to, it's flexible, it receives and it gives, and, it, and, and it's, it's a state of mind that you can be in that is, that is highly creative. There's another state of mind, which is the closed state, and in the closed state, he, I think he equates it with, with, the, with the critic. Well, I'm equating it with the critic. That's when you're uh, refining, editing, uh, changing, uh, reevaluating. That's a different kind of creative state. They're both creative, but without the open state, you can't get to the closed state. If you begin in the closed state, you're nothing but critical, and that's always my problem. Always. Uh, so the open state is important. And what he didn't say in the lecture is how to... No, he did actually go into that. Well, just listen to that lecture. Turn this off. Listen to that. Much better. Anyway, I find that that sketchbook journaling exercise gets me into that state. At least for a period of time. And it doesn't last forever, unfortunately. But hopefully, like meditation, if I keep working on it, it'll get better. Or have I rambled on that enough? Uh, Weakness prompts. I uh, have taken to writing lists of things that I consider to be personal weaknesses in my skill. And this is another very practical, useful tool, I think. For example, I've been having trouble drawing people running. Not interesting, but that's how it is. I can't, I have, I have trouble with the pose. Okay, so I want to draw figures running from my, from my imagination. And uh, there are some shortcuts I've seen animators use, and I find those are a little bit cheaty. And I want to find somewhere in the middle where I have a series of running poses that are that are sort of filed in my brain. The only way to do that as an artist is to go through the work. You got to practice it. You got to do it until it becomes uh, until you understand the mechanics of the body when it's running. That's one thing I will put on my list: running figure. Another one I will put on is feet in motion, which they go together. Uh, you know, hats, shoes, uh, leather jacket. I write things like that down. When, I've, when I'm working on a project and I'm drawing something out and I see a weakness in my current skill set, I've taken to journaling those, to writing them down. And how does that help? Well, when I get into a place where I'm just wanting to uh, be open and creative and just journal and sketch... I find that those prompt, those uh, those service prompts of of, of areas of uh, that I need to practice, and so if I were uh, sitting down in front of a blank page and without ideas, I could pull up the weakness prompts and have a, at least a place to start. And what happens when you start <clears throat> fresh like that is you just end up uh, you end up on a journey, and the journey may or may not end up. Uh, being uh, where you want it to be, you may not end up drawing hats, you may end up drawing cats, but that's okay because the whole point was to get into the into the creative zone and whatever it takes to get you started is the thing that you've got to do. So I find a list of prompts helps. 
and, and, and start with things that you're weak on. And, and that'll at least get you... Uh, it'll, it feels productive, even maybe if it's not. Uh, invisible products. Oh, the point of this is, I think all of those exercises don't feel like they're going into anything that you can sell or use to promote yourself. So oftentimes it feels like wasted time. Uh, so I've gotten to, I've gotten into the habit of trying to be uncom- or, or comfortable with invisible products. That is to say, comfortable with the idea that if this doesn't go anywhere, uh, no harm. If this doesn't go anywhere, in fact, it is still valuable, as valuable. And that's really a key. It's a philosophical understanding of, of what it means to be an artist and to do every day. And, and it goes beyond, in my opinion, uh, uh, marketable product. Uh, we're, in this, we're in a place where we got to think that way. And I just, I'm trying really hard to remove myself from that way of thinking, that philosophy. So that uh, it's never an impediment uh, for me to sit down and do something that doesn't go anywhere. It never means anything. Except that I spent that time uh, in joyous practice and ritual. And that that's good enough. You don't bottle and sell that. Just like you don't bottle and sell uh, the, the other beautiful moments of your day where you're, where you're out walking in a park and, and a breeze and, and there's a smell and, the, and you have a feeling. You don't, you don't, you know, oh, let me pull out my bottle and, 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 and put a cork in that and see how much I can get for that on the, on the black market there. That's the point. Invisible products. Things that are meaningful to you uh, that don't go anywhere. That's how I think uh, there's, there's a way of thinking that gets you past this uh, sort of, I got to be working on my projects or I'm not working. Uh, imposter syndrome. This comes up a lot in people's recordings and I've, I feel like uh, it should be addressed. I have been thinking a lot about imposter syndrome and it is a discussion I was having with, a, with a, some with a friend online here, and, and I uh, I think this came up a lot. And his story, I hope he doesn't mind me saying, is that he that he uh, was in a was in a, a cl- an art class, and and fo- found out at some point in his in his high school years that he wasn't the best in the class, and it was frustrating. And he was the best in a different kind of class. And so he gravitated toward the one where he was the best and, and, and sort of shied away from the one where he was not. And I totally understand that. Um, how to address that, I don't know. But I think it's important to think about whether or not that's valid. Uh, and, and important to question why it's important why we're the best in order to proceed. Uh, you know, greatness required... It's never a thing that's explicitly said, is stated, uh, but it is a thing that we believe. It is something we've all internalized, that greatness is required in order for to participate. You know, you must be at least this tall to ride this ride. And I just don't, I don't know where that comes from, but I think it's very harmful. And it keeps people from exploring things that they may not be, uh, that they may not take easily to. 
And the truth is, I don't. I haven't taken easily to any of this either. It's been it's been a struggle the whole time. And honestly, because of the concept of greatness required, I have to question all the time: Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And is that even a fair question? I'm just putting that out there. The idea of imposter syndrome implies that somebody's going to find you out and point out that you're not the best. Okay? That's actually the worst that could happen, right? And I suppose if you're in a position of power, much like, I don't know, uh, hypothetically, let's say the President of the United States was grossly underqualified for anything. Let's just say, I know it's far-fetched, but let's just say, What's the worst that could happen to him is that somebody's going to point out, hey, you're grossly underqualified, and strip him of his position. He leaves the office in shame. Oh, that didn't sound that bad. <laughs> but what's going to happen to you as, a, as an artist, you know, when you participate in, a, in a, a community and maybe you're not the best one? What's going to happen? Do you think those other people are going to make fun of you? I don't know. I think that's what we're afraid of. Somebody's going to make fun of you. Maybe this all goes back to to school and being made fun of as a child. I don't know. But it's a weird... It's a weird sort of psychological uh, uh, blockade that's put there. By whom, I don't know. But it's, it's very hard to remove it and it's hard to ignore it. Imposter syndrome. The only the only analogy I can think for this is is fourth chair, but not in the band. When I was or fourth chair, but in the band. When I was in elementary school, I played the saxophone, which is a timeless instrument. And uh, I was fourth chair, and we every week we'd have competition, some sort of solo competition to see if if you move up a chair. I don't really know what that whole structure is for, because you can all be heard. <laughs> I don't see how sitting a little bit to the left uh, or the right makes you less heard. But somehow that's important. And maybe first chair gets a solo at some point, which is mixed blessing. Uh, anyway, I was always fourth chair. And I think once I was in a, I was in third chair for a week and then I lost it. So I was never the best in the band, but I was in the band. I, I went on, I went to their competitions that they did. I played at the state fair. I did all of those stupid things that you do when you're in the band. The pep rallies and the nonsense. But I was always fourth chair. As a kid, that didn't mean a whole lot to me, honestly. I wasn't competitive with music. I know if it had been something else, I, I might have been different. But I, I kind of wonder about that. Even being able to play in the band is something. I don't know, I've said this before, but I I want to be a person that gets over this idea of imposter syndrome. Because you're not an imposter if you're in the band. And everybody gets to be in the band. That's the good part of a, of being creative. Maybe you move up and down a chair or whatever, but, but you're always in the band. You're always playing. If you want to be, you can be playing. Uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway, a tapas. Of, of thoughts for today. Uh, all right. That's enough of that. All right. This is Lady Angelo. Uh, uh, Art sound off. Uh, okay. Uh, all right.